We are in the, uh, the second week of a uh, three-week series called The Leveraged Life, and last week we talked about what it looked like to live a life that had made a difference, not just in this one, but for all of eternity. Um, those of us who are followers of Jesus recognize that the moment that we die and enter the presence of God, we're not going to give a rat's butt how much money we made, or we're gonna, for our, how much money we left behind for our kids to fight over. All we're going to care about is the number of our friends, family, neighbors, uh, that, that, that are going to be spending eternity with us, uh, with, with God. And, and so we're willing to make adjustments now in light of what we know we're going to believe is most important uh, forever. So this idea of a leveraged life, who, God's pick, who God picks to make a big difference in the world with kind of surprises most people because God doesn't pick the awesome people. Uh, most of the time he doesn't. Um, occasionally, but most of the time, uh, we looked at the Bible verse where it said, not many wise, not many noble, not many strong, not many wealthy are chosen. God chooses the things of the world that other people, God picks the last kid picked in dodgeball. He picks them in the first round. Uh, in fact, all of the disciples were sub-average, you would, you would probably say. I mean, like, the disciples are all famous, and there's cathedrals and named after them all over the world. But the truth is, there's five of the 12 disciples that doesn't, the Bible doesn't mention a single thing they ever said or did. I mean, that's how much of like a wallflowers they were. Now, if you and I drafted a football team, and like, they're, like five out of 12 players like never even got on the field, you would call that a bust. That'd be a horrible pick in a, in a, in a draft, Right. So you might be tempted to say that. Those guys just needed a longer on-ramp. They had a longer uh, learning curve. They did things after Jesus had, had left them. But even the seven that it mentions, things that they did, it all shows like they had, they had huge, significant character flaws. Um, even Abraham was a horrible husband. And like, you go through the whole Bible, God has a specialty of taking uh, less than average people to do above average things with. And the reason why God does that is so that people are drawn to the God who enabled them to do that, not to them. Because if a strong man did strong things, who would get the credit for it? The strong man. But when a weak thing person does strong things, people go, hey, how you do that? And then they're attracted to who? To you or to the God who gave you the ability? Are you with me? That's why God does this. Because he knows what's, most, what's in the best interest of everybody else around us is not that they're attracted to us, but that they're attracted to God. That what's best in their interest is that they come to know and to find God through faith in his son, Jesus. Well, that's not going to happen if God only, like, if only the wealthy people did, did awesome financial things, if only the strong people did, did, did. He picks the weak on purpose, and that's the reason why. So what we wanted to talk about this week and next week is how God will tangibly call you to leverage your life to make a difference. So where we're starting today is in the very first book of the Bible. It's in Genesis. So if you've got your Bible, go there. If you don't know where it is, open up the front cover. Get past the table of index. There you go. That's Genesis. First book of the Bible. Real easy to find. And in Genesis chapter 4, it starts off in verse 1 this way. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, and so we just like skipped over a whole bunch of years, all right? We went from them being born to when they grew up. Now, what you need to know is Adam and Eve kept listening to Barry White and things kept happening. And there were other sons and daughters born during all of this time, all right? That's, that's happening, and that's all I'll say about that. But when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. We would call somebody who cultivated a ground the, the, they're a what? They're a farmer. So the very first two occupations you read in the Bible is 
a shepherd and a farmer. That's what Cain, Cain, Cain was the farmer and, and uh, Abel, Abel was the, the, the shepherd. Um, so verse five, when it was time for harvest, Cain presented, what's the next word? Cain presented, <laughs> you guys were all like saying different words. I'd look over at the screen and go, what are they, what are they reading? When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some, some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. So when it came to Cain and God, he looked over all that God had blessed him with and he goes, hmm, let's give him something. What do I got laying around here? This is good enough. And to Cain, good enough was good enough. Look at Abel. Verse four. Abel also brought a gift to the Lord. But he brought the, what's the next word? The best of the firstborn lambs. When it came to Abel, Abel didn't go, oh, what little lamb I got laying around here? Which one of these can I give to God? When it came to Abel, he gave the best of the first picks. So if he separated all the best lambs in his flock from all the other like, you know, jacked up lambs, out of all the awesome lambs, he goes, no, which one is the best of the best of the best? That goes to God. Here's what happens. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Who is Cain angry at? Only two people I can think of. Either he's angry at God out of willful rebellion or he's angry at his brother Abel out of selfish jealousy. But either way, there was one dude who could have fixed all of this. It wasn't God, it wasn't Abel. Who could have fixed this? Cain could have just changed. That's what he could have done. Now, just so you know, we are going to be talking about money today. And you probably had started figuring that out. And you're like, if you're a first timer, I'm sorry. I don't know what to say to you. Like people always say, every time I go to church, they talk about money. And you came to another church today, giving it a shot for the very first time, and we're talking about money. You're like, crap, see? So I, I, don't, I, don't, know what, I don't know what to say to you. But what I, I do need everybody to know is, I'm not talking to everybody today. I'm talking to those who claim to have already turned from their disobedience to God and selfishness towards others to follow Jesus. Those are the only people I'm talking to today. Now, if that's not you, you're always welcome here today. Even, even today when the talk doesn't have to do with you. Think of it like this. This Thanksgiving, you're gonna be in the kitchen and you're gonna hear a couple of family members in the dining room talking and it's private. And they're working out some stuff. And you're in the kitchen. And you're sipping your iced tea real quiet. Because you know this is good stuff. You want to you you hear the fireworks. You want to see where this is going. So I'm giving you permission, if you're a first timer, if you're new here to Grace, you have permission to just hang out in the kitchen and spy on our conversation around the dining room table. Okay? But I'm only talking to those around the dining room table today. So Does that make sense? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? All right, some of us feel like God should be okay with whatever I got left over. 
right? Just like Cain. But was Cain's offering acceptable to God, yes or no? You know why? When we do that, we communicate to God that everything else is more important to us than him. That's why it's unacceptable. Cain, on the other hand, before he decided what to do with the rest of his flocks, he pulled out the best and the most awesome right off the top, and that went to God before he did anything else with any other flock. Flocks, sheeps, sheep, shoop. What's plural of sheep? Shipe? <laughs> I'm just getting ridiculous. Are you with me? The truth is, 86% of the regular attenders here at Grace Church are like Cain. Excuse me, 84%. That's a big change. 84%. We give God leftovers. 18 t comes first. My car payment comes first. Xfinity comes first. And if there's anything left over, I'll hook you up, Jesus. You get a little something, something. Just like the, here's what I want you to know. The very first place in the Bible where those who were born on this planet derailed in their relationship with God, it was over their resources. That's where we first went off track. That's where it all started. It's the number one contender in our heart for God's place in our heart. Watch what happens. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. Dude, you could fix this. If you just do what is right, what, what was right, putting God first, not last. God gets the priority, not the leftovers. How much of what Cain had had been given to him by the blessings of God? All of them. So why wasn't God recognized first with all that he had? How much of what you've been blessed with is a blessing from God? So why isn't God honored first with what he's given us? For the same reason Cain had, no doubt. But he said, you'll be accepted if you do what is right. Watch. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. God didn't say, watch out, I'm going to get you. He said, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. The implication is, or that it will subdue you and be your master. If you're in a place where God gets leftovers, what God would say to you, I believe, is the same that he would say to them. I mean, it's biblical. Be careful because there's sin hiding in your heart, creeping up on you to control you and own you. And if you don't get this money thing taken care of, money's going to take care of you for the rest of you. You either master it or it masters you. That's what God said. Now, it's not about the money. It's about your what? It's about the priority that God places, has in your heart. 
I'll show you that in 1 Samuel chapter 13. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul, the first king of Israel, has been chosen by God to lead all of Israel and their fights against the Philistines and other neighboring tribes around there. And Samuel had told Saul to go to Gilgal and to wait for him because sometime next week, Samuel would show up and would make the offering to God on behalf of King Saul and all the soldiers and the rest of the people of Israel, and then they were allowed to go into battle. Here's what happened. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 7. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped from the land of Gad, and, and this is the Philistines that are running in Gilead, and then they regroup. Uh, but meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come by the end of the seven days. Saul realized that his troops were slipping away, so he demanded, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offerings himself. And what I want to point out is, what Samuel was going to offer is the exact same thing that Saul did offer. Saul offered the exact same offering to God as Samuel was going to. Just not in the right way. So watch. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering that Samuel was supposed to do, not him, Samuel shows up. You're not perfect. Don't you hate that? Like you never cheated on nothing. Then the one time you do cheat, the teacher catches it. And now they think you're a cheater all the time. Right? Or the one time you've like, everybody's been fudging on their time cards forever. Everybody in this shop, everybody fudges on their time card. You are sick and tired of not getting hooked up like everybody else is. Then the one time you fudge on your timesheet, there's an audit of the timesheets. Right? Your luck sucks. Just like, just like Saul. He had the same kind of luck you and I do. Samuel arrives right as he's finishing. So Saul went out to meet and welcome him. Hey, dude. Play it off, play it off, play it off. What's up? I'm so glad you're here. Right? But Samuel goes, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what have you done? He's looking behind him and he can see the altar and it's, got, it's smoldering, right? Like it's done. He goes, hey, dude, what, what have you done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are already at Michmash, ready for battle. They're already ready, and we're not even ready. We didn't put our boots on yet. Like, they're ready to fight us right now. If they attack us right now, we're dead. And you didn't come here when you said you were going to be here, so I said the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for God's help, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. It ain't you. Holy cow. So God picks Saul and tells him that if you follow me in my ways, your son will be king and your son's son will be king and your son's 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 king. They'll all be kings over Israel forever if you follow me. And what gets him fired before God is not that he murdered somebody. What got him fired as king over Israel is not that he cheated on his wife or betrayed his countrymen and you know, had a backdoor deal with the Philistines. That's not why God said, I'm done with you. The reason why God said, I'm done with you is because you didn't make the offering the way you were instructed. 
because it betrayed something about what? His heart. What was in his heart? Fear. If I do it the way God says, if I wait on God, then my army will keep leaving. And if this keeps happening, then there's no way in the world that I can cover my backside here. If I'm going to get my responsibility done, I need all my soldiers for myself. I can't let any of the more soldiers go. The deal was, he didn't feel that if he did it God's way, God would come through. He just couldn't see it. If I keep losing more soldiers, how can we beat the Philistines? They're already at Michmash. So I figured I would do it this way instead because I was afraid to do it that way. And the reason why he was thrown out was because he did not trust God enough to obey God. God said, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean a man after your own heart? I didn't cheat on my wife. I didn't murder anybody. What do you mean, man after your own heart? I'm looking for somebody who'll trust me. And that ain't you. I'm moving. That's how David becomes king. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, please go to Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus is preaching and he says, and don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of who? Those who ain't mine. Those who are mine are not dominated by desire for more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Those who are mine aren't dominated by the pursuit of junk. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Should not dominate the thoughts of those, excuse me, those things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs, right? So what should dominate my thoughts as it comes to my money? I'll tell you what should dominate your thoughts. Not food and drink. What should dominate your thought, according to Jesus, is this, verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God above all of these other things. And all of those other things will be given to you as you need them. So don't be afraid, little flock. Jesus recognizing the one thing that's going to keep us from this. Don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. To fill in the gap. Verse 33 I wanted to skip this and go straight to verse 34. I had to do some extra study on this because 33 made me really nervous. Jesus says in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. What do you mean by that? What if he meant what he actually said? Oh, shoot. If Jesus wanted you to sell all of your possessions and give to those in need, then guess what you need to do? You need to do the exact same thing I need to do. Sell everything I own. Is that what he's saying? That his plan is for those who turn from sin to follow him, 
live in abject poverty? Is that God's? Is that? Because if that's what he's asking, then guess what we need to do? You guys ain't with me on this. You guys are like, I'm switching churches now. Like, I liked it. Like, the music was cool and all, but like, you've gone off the rails, bro. You are insane. If that's what he meant, listen, is Jesus going to be the Lord of your life or not? Because if he wanted me to sell all my stuff, then guess what I need to do? I need to sell all my stuff. Now, the truth is, anything I do with my money here for the kingdom of God and his kingdom purposes, translate everything I lay down here, I pick up there. And I'm going to spend a whole lot more time there than here. I guarantee you when I get there, I ain't going to wish I'd done less here. Right? Except for all of eternity, I got to do without. So what do you think the me 200 years from now could say to the me now? More or less. The me then would say, hook a brother up. Come on. Lay down your life to pick it up there. But that still didn't answer the question (laughs) about whether or not Jesus wants us to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. A sword that would divide a father from his son. A sword that would divide a mother from her daughter. If you do not hate them in comparison, then you are not worthy of me. Is it Jesus' plan that we hate our moms, hate our dads, hate our sons, and hate our daughters? No. What he's highlighting is the very real conflict between our love for this and our love for God. If, in comparison to your love for God, your love for others looks like hate in comparison, that is what he said. He's not saying that we need to hate everybody. What he's saying is that your love for anybody else should never come before this love here. Ever, 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 ever. Now, notice that here in in, in Luke chapter 12, he doesn't say sell all of your possessions. Now, we're going to look at a guy in a minute where he does say, sell all of your possessions. But he's not saying that here. But if your possessions, if your, if your money is about you, then maybe you should sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Because the one thing that's competing with God in our hearts is what? It's money. That's why you're so uncomfortable in this talk. You weren't this uncomfortable last week. You didn't hate me then. Be my friend. But why is this one so personal to us? Because we trade our life to get it. It represents the last five days of my life, the last six days of my life, the last seven days of my life. That's why you value it so much. And honestly, it's because you and I value it so much that it matters to God. Because tangibly speaking, when I trade my life away to get this green stuff, and then I use this green stuff for God's kingdom purposes and his glory, what am I displaying? That I live for whose pleasure, mine or his? His, that's why he goes on to say, 
And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy. Wherever your treasure is, that's where what is. See, it doesn't go the other way around. My money doesn't follow my heart. My heart follows my money. I have a really cool story about this. I was a youth pastor in Denver. And when my wife and I became the youth pastors at that church, there were nine kids in the youth group and we had a $5,000 a year budget that we used to help take kids on retreats and, you know, we'd supplement their ways to camp. They'd always have to pay something because we wanted them to be invested in it too, right? So we didn't ever pay anybody's whole way to camp, but we would, we'd hook a few kids up that we knew were in, in, in difficult circumstances. And sometimes I'd pay for the expenses of the adult counselors who had other jobs who were taking away a Friday night to go do a hayride or whatever. I knew they didn't want to do a hayride with a bunch of 12-year-olds right? So they're giving up a Saturday for this. I'm going to, we'll take care of that for you kind of a deal. Well, as our youth ministry grew, grew to almost hundred at one point, um, the youth budget stayed at $5,000. I went to the pastor and said, hey, listen, we need more money in the youth ministry budget. And he said, hey, listen, no. So I had to come up with a way to keep helping kids find and follow Jesus with, so I was going to do this. So I came up with an idea. We called it Club 52. Club 52, I went to the pastor and was like, hey, I got this great idea. He didn't shoot me down right away, to his credit. He listened to it. He liked it. I said, what if we got 100 people in our church to give a dollar a week to the youth group? If I get 100 people a week to give a dollar to the youth group, that's $100 a week. Times 52 weeks is, math much? $5,200. I just doubled our, our, our youth ministry budget by not asking anything more than a buck. I thought, that, okay, I, you guys obviously are not as impressed with me as I'm impressed with me. I thought that was great, right? Now, before Club 52 started, I did whatever I wanted over there in the youth room. Seriously. I had, an, it, I had a, tra- a full-size outdoor trampoline inside, and I hung an adjustable realm basketball goal from the arch ceiling in the old auditorium so that kids could jump on the trampoline and dunk it 15 feet in the air. Come on! That's sick. Completely dangerous and foolish, but I had no adult supervision. It was awesome. Our youth ministry, kids were bleeding all the time. Seriously, the kids were always getting ankles shanked. It was, it was, but it was great. Then all of a sudden we start Club 52 and now everybody's all up in my business. Hey, how's the youth group going? Hey, I want to come over and see the youth room. Hey, you going to do a tour of the youth room? Hey, can I come over there and hang out with you guys one Wednesday night? And I'm like, no, no. Like, I don't want anybody to know how dangerous this is because they're going to just make, make us get medical permission slips. They might make me get rid of the trampoline, right? Which is probably a bad idea anyway, Right? But I'm just saying, once they started giving a dollar a week, now all of a sudden they, start, they were so cheap that their heart followed their stupid dollar. Now all of a sudden, nobody ever asked about the student ministry. What changed? Their heart changed. Why did their heart change? Their dollar did. That's the issue here. Here's what John says about this. 1 John chapter 2. He says, love not the world. Do not love the world, nor the things in the, that the world offers. 1 John 2, verse 15. I want you to see this. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have love for who? For the Father, God. You cannot love the world and the things it offers you and love God at the same time. It's impossible. You can't. You either love this world and what it offers, or you love God. There's no in-between. How can I tell if I love God or I love this world and what it offers? According to the verse we just read, by checking where you put your what? 
money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So say all you want that you love God. He already knows. And he says, your heart follows your treasure. There's two guys in the Bible, I think, completely different reactions to this that highlight the two different paths we're going to choose. And this is in Luke chapter 18. So if you've got your Bible, go to Luke 18. For the sake of time, we're not going to read the whole story, but basically I'll, I'll read a couple of the verses. But Luke chapter 18, verse 18 Jesus is on his way to Jericho, and he has a... This story is actually mentioned in a couple of the other narratives of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. So we know that he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Ladies, that's the trifecta right there. He's young, he's rich, and he's influential. He's at the top of his game. That's... Right? That's, that's, that's the dude. Once a religious young ruler, the religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus starts talking to him about the Ten Commandments. And the guy goes, hey, I'm good. I've kept all those. And nobody in the crowd yelled foul. Like if I got up and I said, hey, man, I never sinned. There's enough people that know me well enough that go, BS. But if I were to say that I had kept all of the commandments since I was a child, there's enough people that know me well enough to know that isn't true, and they would say something loud enough about it, but not this guy. He says it, and nobody says a word. You know what that leads me to think? That this guy was probably pretty sharp. On the outside, this guy's got game. Like, he's a religious dude. He doesn't cheat on his taxes. He works hard. He's, he's wealthy. He's young, and he's a leader. He's a ruler, which means he's been elected leader. Other people recognize the awesomeness of this guy, so once he got done saying how awesome he was, you'd think he'd be all set. But here's what Jesus says in verse 22. When Jesus heard his answer, Jesus said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Sell how many of his possessions? Jesus told him to sell all. Earlier, he didn't say sell all. He said, sell your possessions Trade this life for that one. That's what he said. Leverage your money here for treasures there. Leverage your money for God's glory and God's kingdom purposes here and now. His bank account can't get robbed. Trust God to back you up. This guy, he says, sell it all. Why? What had his heart? All of it. And he knew that as long as he hung on to that, he couldn't hang on to who? Okay. But when he, verse 23, but when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich and he walked away. And I know where that rich man is right now. Now listen, the rich man is the better man. Definitely of the two. Here's the second guy in chapter 19. Jesus enters into Jericho and here's what happens. Verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town, and there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. If he's a tax collector, who does he work for? The Jews or the Romans? The Romans, and he's a Jew. So how do the Jews feel about him? He's a traitor. 
Now, he only becomes rich if he takes more from the Jews than what the Romans have asked for. And everybody else knows this. The truth is, this man had not been in temple since he took this job because he wasn't ceremonially clean because he had too much dealings with Gentiles. This guy traded his religion for money. This is the worst example that we could bring up today. This is the guy. Listen, the first guy you'd let your daughter marry, this guy you wouldn't even let your son hang out with. Right? That's this guy. That guy. He tried to get a look at Jesus. Verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. What people? The people who were around were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. If Jesus really is from God, ain't no way in the world he'd be cool with people who have baggage like that. Ain't no way in the world he can be with people that screwed up. Ain't no way in the world he can be with people whose past is still a part of their present. And I got no hope for their future, right? I tried to make that sound like Bishop Jakes. I don't know if that worked or not, but you see what I'm saying? They couldn't get away from it. Like this guy, if Jesus is gonna hang out with anybody in town, it's not going to be this guy. Who did Jesus hang out with? That guy, remember, he specializes in taking flawed, broken people and making champs and all-stars out of them. The truth is, out of everybody in that town, that was the one guy Jesus would have been most attracted to. And the truth is, the most broken, screwed up person in this room is the same. Out of all the religious people in this room, the one person God's most attracted to is the one that feels they are most distant from him. Luke chapter 50, tons of scriptures talk about that. But back to the text. Meanwhile, Meanwhile means Jesus goes to his house. Meanwhile means he welcomed him to his home, probably invited his buddies, had like a little party, tons of awesome conversations. That's meanwhile. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Did Jesus ask him to do that? Does the Bible say Jesus asked him to do that? Jesus asked the first guy to do that. He didn't ask. They're both rich. They're both rich. Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus for this. Zacchaeus offered it. Half of all of my wealth I give to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will pay them back four times as much as I took. What? Holy cow. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. How had he shown that he was a true child of God? By what he did with what? His money. To Jesus, his money proved whether or not he truly had placed his faith and trust in Jesus. The other dude's works would have proven it to you. But Jesus knew, hey, anybody can act a certain way for a certain amount of time. The real test, the real test on who you love is how you spend. That's the test. What do you think it meant when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24? Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must 
Turn from your selfish ways. What do you think selfish ways means? Not being rude to other people? Sure. But how about how you live your life? What you do with what you've got. Turn from your selfishness. Quit living with you in the middle. And to live with who in the middle? Jesus. Rearrange your life around the person and teachings of Jesus. Then take up your cross. What was a cross a symbol of? Sacrifice. Death. Death to who? Death to me and my old ways. Then follow me, Jesus said. This is what it looks like to leverage your life for God's glory and the good of others. It's a sacrifice. That 16% of those who attend Grace Church are willing to make. 16%. And if God can do what he's done with 16%, Holy cow. Or don't. You leverage your life or spend it. It's your life. This isn't about Grace Church. Grace Church is okay. Grace Church is paying its bills. Grace Church is living under its means. We have a budget and we're spending down here. That's why last year we were able to give away over $150,000. That's why every single weekend at Grace Church, we give almost $500 away to people who show up at Grace Church. We say every time we take an offering, if you showed up today and you are in need, if you don't have any groceries in your pantry, your kids need clothes, are you about to have your power shut off, you need to let us know. Don't we say that every single week? So I'm not teaching this. So Grace Church is in a position right now where we're like, give, 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 pay for this, pay for this, pay for this, pay for this. This isn't about Grace Church getting more of your money. This is about God having all of your heart. That's what it's about. Grace Church doesn't need more of your money to pay the bills. We're paying bills. Ain't nobody begging here. This is about you and God and whether or not God has your heart. And he doesn't. He doesn't have your heart. My concern is over what that's doing to you and your relationship with God. And how many of us are going to spend eternity with regret? Because we lived like this 70 years was the most important 70 years. This is about you and God. Now, if you don't trust Grace Church, then pick another church. Pick one. I got a list I'd recommend. But if you don't trust me, you probably don't trust my list either. So I don't know if you want it. You got Google? I can just tell you if they're a wacko cult or not. Right? Which you probably wouldn't ask. I don't know who you identify with most in the story. Maybe you're like Cain. It was just ignorance. I don't mean ignorance in a condescending way. I mean ignorance as a lack of information. Maybe you, because like seriously, since coming to Grace, like, like a little something, something for God is like, you're like compared to your past, you're stinking killing it. Right? 
Like in your, like you just didn't know any better. And you know that, you didn't think that, I mean, leftovers is better than nothovers. Nothing over, that's not a word. Leftovers is better than nothing, right? Maybe you just didn't know. So what you need to do, your next step honestly is to not look at what you have left over at the end of each week. Maybe what you need to do is sit down with how much you actually make each week and you decide first what goes to God. What is your first and what is your best? That percentage goes to God now. Let AT&T and Xfinity scrap over what the leftovers are. But you're not going to make God sit at the foot, foot, uh, the foot. At the end of the table. I was going to say foot. Crap. The foot of the table. And then I was thinking footstool. Because there's a Bible verse that has the word footstool. So I was going to say at the footstool of the table. And I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. That's what happened. So then my brain had like a like. Why do I have to explain to you how I'm thinking? Sorry, I'm just jacked up up here. My point is, is you just didn't know that God needs to come first. So that's your next step, making God first. Others of you, your problem isn't that you don't know. You've known. But you've been afraid because you've been watching the armies leave your bank account. The soldiers are leaving and you're afraid. You don't have enough army to win the battle. So it's fear. And what it really has come down to now is you are now saying to God, by your giving or lack thereof, God, I don't trust you. That is what you're saying. It is. It just is. And so you need to do what you know to do. Others of you might be more like you're, you're where I'm at. And, and for me, it's not a matter of not knowing, and it's not a matter of being afraid. Because for me, since I, like I was raised in church by a very godly man, a husband and wife. My mom and dad, awesome, godly people. They taught me when I was a little kid, one out of every 10 belongs to God. I've been doing that since I was a child. Billy Jane was raised the same way. So for us, when we got married, we'd never lived on 100% of our income. We'd always lived on 90%. So it wasn't difficult for us. Now, the cool thing is, because we've always managed our money, we've never had to get in debt. That's one of the benefits of putting God first in your finances and makes you more intentional with your money. It's just one of the sidekick benefits. Sidekick? Side benefits to it. The t- the, I'm not going to try to say it another way. One of the benefits. So for Billy Jane and I, when we got married, it was not an issue of ignorance. It was not a matter of fear. We'd always done it, but it had never been crazy generous. So what Billy Jane and I have done is each year in our marriage, we've tried to increase our dependence on God. But the truth is, our goal is to get to 20. That's, I'll just tell you, our goal is to get to 20%. Now, we're not there yet, but we have stopped at the number we've stopped at, and we've been at that number for the last four years. Now, it's a whole lot more than some, but it's not where I need to be because I'm not exercising any faith in God to give what I'm giving. It doesn't scare me at all because it's not about the amount. It's about what? My heart. So am in my heart right now, am I having to be stretched or in any way am I afraid in my finances? Do I have to depend on God right now? No, because I've budgeted him in at that number. So my next step is to be more like Zacchaeus. I need to be a little crazy generous if I'm going to grow in my relationship with God. Now, I don't know where you're at. And listen, when I talk about this, this isn't about me as pastor of Grace Church. It's about me as husband of Billy Jane, father to Garrett, Lauren, and Ryan, little league coach. That dude needs to depend more on God. That dude needs to be stretched so that his faith will grow. That dude needs to do this. So I don't know if you're like Cain if you're like Saul, or if you need to be more like 
Zacchaeus. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, go here. If you're here, go here. If you're here, go here. Stretch, grow, lean in on God. He works out. Or don't. You can leverage your life for God's glory or you can spend it all on yourself. What you do with it really is up to you. But everything for all of eternity, for me, depends on what I do with mine. And I'm not going to waste it. That's not going to be my call. Let's pray. God, let your will be done in our hearts so that your will can be done in our lives. So that your will can be done in the lives of those that we know and love. God, for those who are distant from you, who are here, who feel like they need to be like that first guy, have all of their act together in order to be loved and made right with you, I pray that they recognize that you see through that. Nobody here is perfect. Everybody in this room is flawed. Everybody here is broken. That you're attracted to those who are distant from you. You're attracted to those who, whose hearts are fractured, whose lives are messy, and who have baggage. And you're interested in putting our hearts back together again when we turn from our disobedience to you, selfishness towards others, to begin following Jesus. God, today I'm praying for those who've already come to that place, who have been giving you leftovers, making you eat the scraps left from the table like you're a dog. We're sorry. I pray that we would decide first what is our best, our first fruit, the, the best of what we got to you? For those, God, who already know that, and maybe at some point were, but too many soldiers left, so they got scared. They, they pulled back from trusting in you. I pray, God, that we would acknowledge that there's sin crouching in our heart. And it's this fear that we can't trust you. And that's why it's a problem. Because it's our heart. I pray that we would trust you, that we would recommit ourselves to you. God, there are others in this room who have maybe not even sinfully involved. We've just budgeted you in and we've become comfortable where we're at. And truthfully, we need to be stretched. So stretch us. All that we have, God, comes from you. And all of it should be at your disposal for your glory and for the good of others. Help every person in this room take every single step you ever call us to make for the rest of our lives, no matter where it takes us, how long it keeps us, or what it costs. Let your will be done in us so that your will can be done through us. And we all pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.